Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is founder and president of Freedom Trail Wealth at Dove Mountain, Dan Carlsberg. Thank you for joining me, Dan. Thank you, Amy. Great to be here. So I love starting my podcast with one of my favorite questions, and that is for you to talk about your journey on how you got into the financial services industry. Well, that's a great question. And uh, it's one that I've shared over the years, whether it be interviews, recruiting events, but um, my journey, I'm going to go back about 20 years ago, because that's about where, you know, I would say this story began. So I started off as a young, uh, very naive 23-year-old thinking that coming out of college, my dream was to be in sports management. Um, I didn't get into the program that I wanted to. Um, Even back in the mid-90s when uh, sports management, the major, was very young and in its infancy, not many schools had it. Um, UMass Amherst, I'm originally from the Boston, Massachusetts area, so UMass Amherst was probably the top and very well could still be one of the top sports management programs in the country. Uh, but I didn't get in there, didn't have the grades out of high school to get in there. So I had to kind of take a, a, the back road uh, to, to start my journey. So um, if you had asked me 25 years ago, Dan, what's your goal? You know, where do you see yourself at 45? I would have told you. I'm either going to be Jerry Maguire, sports agent, or I'm going to be the general manager for the Boston Red Sox. Those were my two tracks. So um, as young as a freshman in high school, a freshman in college, apologize, um, I had interned for the Hartford Whalers, the now defunct NHL team, now the Carolina Hurricanes. And my first job in sports was slingshotting T-shirts off the ice. Before I left school and, and realized that was a track, being on the business side of sports management, really focusing in on team operations as opposed to like media or any of the other mediums, that really kind of spoke to me, like, you know, running the team or running a department of the team. So right out of college, I I got a job as a general manager. You know, there's the first half of my, my, my little dream towards being GM of the Red Sox. Um a general manager for a rookie A-ball team in, in Durham, North Carolina. Lots of confusion of who I worked with because everybody in town in Durham either knew the Bulls or they knew the old ballpark. So uh, being that young, naive 23-year-old walking into a situation that I didn't really know Jack from Adam about what I was doing. I was never formally trained to, to do anything, but I knew how to talk to people. And I knew how to relate to people. That was something that's always, you know, been a part of my character. Um, so two years into it, you know, we we increased. It was the worst attended team in the league. It was no sponsors. Uh, took that operation with not knowing anything about business, not knowing how to sell, nothing, to bringing it into kind of the middle tier sponsorship, middle of the, the league and attendance. and. You know, by the time I was done with my two years, I'm like, you know what? I set out and accomplished every goal I could have possibly dreamed of here. You know, the team won a championship, which really had nothing to do with me because I was strictly on the business side. Uh, was shown enough success for two new owners, two retirees, bought the team, you know, before I left. So 
accomplished everything I could, you know, in that role. So my next phase, I had gone to my mentor at the time who was running that league. And I said, Mark, you know, what, what do you think for my next phase? What do you think I would be really good at? And he said, well, if you just focused on one aspect of your, of the business, sales, marketing, maybe concessions, maybe player operations, just focus on one thing and be really, really good at it. So he said, if I were you, I'd focus on sales and marketing. And I, if I were in your shoes, you know, you're a Boston guy, you know, you're kind of a big league guy. Maybe you're just too, you have too big of a mindset to just be a minor league guy. You should be a major league guy. So I said, okay, well, what do you think? He goes, you should go work for one of the big major league teams. They're always hiring ticket sales people. That's where you, everyone gets their start, regardless of degree, regardless of experience. And that's where you get kind of, I don't know if it's still the same now, but anyhow, I took his advice. The New or- the uh, Charlotte Hornets had just moved to New Orleans. They were looking for salespeople, um, applied for the job. The guy happened to be from Boston. So we kind of hit it off in that respect, but the business side of kind of like, I guess way, the best way to describe it was I was like my own intern in Durham. I didn't, I had to really teach myself all the things that I needed to learn on my own. Nobody kind of showed me or, or told me how to do it. I just figured it out. So I took that experience and went to New Orleans and within two months, and I'm not trying to like toot my own heart here, but I, I was their number one sales guy within two months. And after that year with New Orleans, finishing the year at number one, I was getting recruited by all these different NBA teams. Uh, that's how I ended up with the Orlando Magic. They recruited me to be their East Coast regional sales manager. Uh, so just to kind of speed up the timeline here. So from Orlando to three years with them, and then the NHL lockout happened. A lot of the NHL teams were calling my name, so I Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning in two different stints. And around the time that I was with the Tampa Bay Lightning is when I met my wife. And um, she was from Tampa. You know, the one thing about working in the sports industry is you have to be so willing to move. You have to go where the jobs are. I was just going to ask you to make sure you covered that. I find Florida to Arizona to be an interesting journey. Yeah. Florida has some of the most fickle sports fans in this country regardless of team. And I worked for the Panthers, the Magic, the Lightning. All of them are fickle. Usually they only go to the games when people are, you know, when when the team's doing well. So it's always been a challenge to sell for any one of those Florida teams. But when I met my wife and realized that we were going to be together long-term, I had to kind of slow my roll and be like, okay, well, I don't think this is the best situation to be moving from team to team every two or three years, because that's about, that's what was happening in the industry at that time. So um, I wasn't totally done with sports, but I wanted to find something in Tampa. So, you know, I've kind of already been there and done that with the Lightning. I, you know, I tried to apply with the Bucks and the Rays and just nothing ever really worked out, but I ended up with a sports advertising agency um, known as PSP Sports, and they had different divisions, but they were located out in New York. And I, I ended up staying with them for about five to about five and a half years and um, selling advertisements and like all the big, you know, sports programs, Super Bowl program, World Series program and so forth. 
And, um, you know, in 2011, they promoted me and asked me to take over an office in Orlando. And that was a pretty big move because, you know, my wife's family, entire family was in Tampa. And uh, even to go an hour and a half away was kind of, was a real big deal. But we did it. And I just, I knew kind of getting into it that it wasn't going to be the best situation. But within a year's time, I'm like, I am burned out. It was kind of my time to say, okay, let me take a step back. What is there, what is, what could I be really good at that's not sports related, that is helping people? Like that was one of the things in sports. I never really felt like I was really helping people the way that I should. You know, like instant gratification, like, oh, I got two tickets right here at center court. If you don't want them, someone else will have them. Like it was very ungratifying. So getting to where I became an advisor. So I had two of my best friends from college in Hartford have been very, very successful. And I went to them and I said, Jason, Ethan, I said, you know, I'm at this crossroads in my career and I, I just, I don't think the sports thing is going to work out. And you guys know me better than anybody. What job do you think I would be really good at that I've never thought of to do? Of course, both of them say, you make a great financial advisor, Dan. And I said, are you out of your bleeping mind? I, <laughs> I stunk at math at school. I'm 29 years old. What business do I have giving advice to anybody? You know, I, I need to, I can hardly give myself advice. And, uh, my buddy Jason has always been one of these guys that has always been one step ahead of everybody. And I mean, just the alpha male, like really has always been like kind of king of industry. And, and he's been with Wells Fargo, Ameriprise, LPL. And he's always been one of the best of where he's at. And he broke it down to me the way that all great financial advisors do. And he says, Dan, you already know how to do the job. You just don't know how to speak the language. So as soon as you learn the language, you're going to be great. And I said, how so? He goes, well, 90% of my job as a financial advisor is building relationships. He goes, you know how to do that. You know how to build and maintain relationships. You know how to do what's right for people. You just don't know how to do what's right for people in our context. So I said, all right, great. Well, what, where do you think I should apply to? And he goes, well, that's the thing. He goes, you can't be an independent financial advisor like we are right out of shoot because you don't have a book of business. So he goes, what you need to do is go to the, one of the big wirehouses. Um, and he actually named off the firm I went to by name. He goes, uh, I, he goes, well, do you know of any, uh, any firms? I said, Lynch, Morgan Stanley. He's like, no, 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 no. Churn and Bernia, like, no. He goes, you need to go to a place like Edward Jones because not that I work for him because I have friends of mine who have, but and he goes, I think you should do it for four or five years. Then you get your book of business and you go off. And well, not only was he spot on, um, and not only from being a good financial advisor and following that plan, but and from a plan standpoint, I think I followed his plan maybe one year too long. I just, in my now five years of experience with them, I didn't think I was in the right place any longer for my clients. So it was kind of the universe saying, you know what, Dan, now's the time to make that move. So that's where we're at five years later, independent advisor, running a great practice and always trying to better the client experience and just always trying to figure out ways, how can I make that client experience better? What, what value add can I continue to give to clients where 
they go through a year like last year and be like, wow, you know, I lost money. But is this guy, Dan, really still the, you know, the one that should be the one guiding me? So I didn't have too many of those questions because of the experience that I provide. Understand what we're trying to do for them to help them not stay awake at night and let us, as I like to say, get the breakups. <laughs> Fascinating story and unique for sure. Um, a unique version of the second career kind of concept that we see in our industry. Everything happens for a reason, in my opinion. But you know, making that decision to go independent out on your own, become an independent business owner. Any regrets? Any, um, obviously you sound like you're really excited, but was there something you would have done differently or we all have to learn from our own mistakes, but I guess what I'm looking for is something, is there anything the listeners should learn from your mistakes? I think probably the biggest, and I say regret, but I don't really have a, a, like, it's not like a strong regret is I guess I didn't really quite understand the full transition process. I didn't think about full extent of point A to point B and the factors that I didn't maybe think of, you know, whether that be clients relationship with my former administrator, whether clients were going to buy my brand over staying comfortable and sticking with my old firm. So I think that if I had just maybe planned it out a little bit more in detail and it's not that it was a rash decision. I just wish that I gave myself a little longer of a timeline to, to make that's that. good advice. Yeah. Create a runway for yourself. Yeah. that And that would definitely be my, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have provided myself a longer runway to, um, to bring, to, to transition clients. Like I, I should have had maybe more conversations explaining, you know, why we were doing what we were doing. But I I say that, but I, I feel like the people that valued my opinion and valued our relationship, they came. It was a very high percentage that came. And the people that did not at first eventually came over. I think that's pretty common just in terms of change. And in my opinion, that just means, you know, better fit, you know, the ones that were a better fit. So part of creating your own business is your branding. As you were talking about branding and marketing, your website talks about your core values, one of which I believe is honesty, but talk about your core values, your the culture you've created. You talked about client experience, but how does your how do your core values and your culture and branding define you as a financial advisor and your firm as a whole? Great question. Great question. So I think it even starts as basic as my logo, like where I even came up with it and, and kind of how it represents me, how it represents clients. So being from Boston, I'm always I'm a huge fan of history. I've loved the whole American Revolution time period, the idea of freedom, independence, you know, doing right by yourself and your family. So my logo is a it's a trail that cuts through the mountains and Freedom Trail Wealth is an actual play on Freedom Trail in Boston. Piece of my past in the logo, but then the the pathway through the mountains, of course, being here in Tucson, we're surrounded by mountains and it's kind of showing people their path to independence, to how do I help them get there? And I think that starts with having honest conversation. 
and maybe it's just my Northeastern mentality, but I'm brutally honest with people. I think when people come in here, especially new pro- new clients, they're, I think sometimes they've been handled with kid gloves, maybe at other firms, and and or they've never had an advisor and they don't they don't really get maybe the tough love that you have to give. But as advisors, you have to give them the truth. You have to say, look, where you're at right now is not working for you. You need to do this X, Y, and Z. And I think that clients over the years have always really respected that about me. That I don't sugarcoat things. I have to tell it the way it is because let's be honest, who wants an overly optimistic financial advisor? You know, you have to be spot on with folks to say, this is what we need to do to get you where ultimately you need to be. And I think the other big thing with core values is always being able to talk to people in a way that they understand, you know, like I think empathy has always been one thing that I've always used in my conversations with prospective clients and clients say, look, I understand how you feel. You know, I have a family, I have kids. The, I'm, I'm dealing with the same problems that you're dealing with. Guess what? We're going to solve them together. You know, so I think that really goes a long way when you're talking with prospective and current clients of, and, you know, he, he really cares about me. You know, that old saying, you know, nobody really knows how much you care until you show how much you care. I, I really do believe that. Um, but I think that clients and prospective clients, when you're able to talk to them in a way that they understand, um, it really resonates. One of the things I think a lot of advisors fall into this big pitfall is, is kind of throwing up all over themselves. Like, let me show you how, how much knowledge I have. Let me just totally impress you with numbers and charts and graphs and everything, which to a point is fine. If, you know, but I think you lose a lot of prospective clients and clients when you start talking over their heads. Remember, used to sitting there and listening to other advisors, and be like, "Wow, that is just word soup," and I could just see the blaze going over the client's eyes. I say, you just need to talk to them. Think about when you used to be on the other side of the desk and explain it to them in layman's terms. Explain it to them in a way that they understand. And I think that is something I've never forgotten how to do. And I really pride myself on because I, I could tell when I'm losing somebody, I'm like, I'll stop myself. And be like, oh, I'm, I, I can see the glaze going over the eyes here. Something along those lines. And I say, you know, let me back up and let me just kind of re-educate what I'm trying to say or re-educate this particular product or service. That I find that a lot when people, when you start talking annuities, you can lose them pretty quickly. Yeah. You got to break it down for sure. So it kind of go. that's a great segue maybe to talk a little bit about, so somewhere in your life journey, you went from, in case the listeners missed it, a different region, right? You went from Florida to Arizona, you're in Tucson. What, and region sometimes defines the answer to this question, but not always because a lot of advisors potentially serve clients nationwide in some ways, but what kind of attributes do you look for in your clients? Where do you find them? So- I think that, number one, I mean, when you're talking about prospective clients, even though I'm, you know, middle-aged, I, I still kind of get go a little bit kicking and screaming into the whole tech, you know, part of our industry with 
social media and, and you know all the all the different digital that's available to us. So I think when you're casting out this wide net, it's finding people that will respect your opinion and really value what advice that you're giving to them. Uh, and I I think you're able to maybe it's just with experience over the years, but I think I've, I'm really able to kind of key in when I'm meeting with somebody, especially someone who's new, of, okay, I, I can tell that this person could really use my help or they would value my opinion. Um, I think when you have someone who is, you know, has done it a lot by themselves, like, oh, I have my Schwab account, I'm constantly trading and you know, I kind of, you know, I've made a lot of money in my life and this and that. That may not necessarily be the right person for us because that person either may not need help or may not particularly value your opinion. Um, where you have someone else who's like, you know, I have all these 401ks. I just don't even know what to do with them, Dan. I don't even know where to start. You know, I don't even know if I've saved enough for retirement. Um, I'm trying to solve the riddle of, help and pay for my kids' education. I just don't even know what to do. That is a great person that would need my help and would value my opinion on what they should do. Like brutally honest opinion, I might add. So, do you do a lot of marketing or um, is it mostly referral? So I would say I'm kind of 50-50. Um, I think I'm at a point in my career where more referral driven than marketing driven, but I'm really focusing a lot, especially coming out of COVID and kind of finally getting my arms around like, okay, like current clients, I think we're, I think we're in a really good place. We have room to bring on new clients. I am marketing right now, you know, digitally, a little bit of print. I, I don't do radio. I've never tried to do TV. I guess I would be open to doing TV, but um, I think I kind of know where my wheelhouse is of, of who I want to get and asking third parties that are involved in digital media how to how to get in front of those folks and, and the right folks. Where are you having the most success? Do you have a particular digital marketing channel that works best? So... Believe it or not, um, print has actually really worked well for me. And, and you would think that print is dying and that people don't read their, the paper anymore. But some of the biggest clients I have ever gotten are from the local newspaper here. The article that I had written about me back in October about the, uh, the FSI Circle of Excellence, I put that out as a press release. And not even kidding Four clients all over, you know, well into the six figures, a couple in the seven figures, read that article and prompted them to actually call. Me and That's said, great. So print does still work as much as people don't think that it may. Um, and then I, I also have been getting a little bit more involved with uh, some of the digital lead generating systems. I know um, one of our new partners with Cambridge, I've been using um, Smart Advisor. Uh, okay. That's definitely been generating a lot of activity. Got it. Well, thank you for sharing. Those are common questions advisors ask. So you touched on the, the fact that, with my next question, that you were named to the Financial Services Institute's Advocacy Circle of Excellence in mm -hmm. 2022. So congratulations. Thank you. 
Please share with our listeners your role on that council and what you've learned from it over the past year. So uh, I will, I'll be, again, brutally honest. It was kind of a surprise. I was not expecting it. Um, but one of the reasons I, I was uh, put onto the circle of excellence was that I've been very active with communicating with the legislators about the independent contractor status and how they are very actively trying to get rid of it. And I just it just really troubles me with not only our industry, but other industries where 1099 independent contractors are really one of the biggest lifebloods of small business in the United And, you know, I'm not going to play sides of, uh, on the politics thing, but I think there's a lot of politicians out there that want to see every single company be uniform, go to W-2. And I think there's a lot that will be lost, uh, you know, independence for us as financial advisors. I think of general contractors and construction, the God forbid if they had to put every single subcontractor on their on their payroll as W-2, how much that industry would shrink. So it's very concerning and it is, uh, it's really prompted me to action to, to be very vocal with my local legislators here and, and be involved with an, with an organization like FSI um, to just volunteer and to be as active as you can. Yeah, it's a... This is a really important issue, probably one of the most important to our our subset of the industry. And you're a great voice, I imagine, because of the reasonably recent decision to go independent. And the policymakers, in my opinion, just, you know, I think they have the right, they think they have the right intent around this issue. They just don't understand why anyone in their right minds would want to be a 1099 independent contractor. And yeah. we need to keep telling them why that is, because there's good exactly. reasons. Exactly. That is one of the big reasons I left, you know, where I left to come and be independent was to be able to provide that choice for clients and to have the freedom to run my business as I see fit to provide that great experience for the folks I work with. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, thank you for uh, representing the industry there on such an important issue. And just overall, um, we need more people in our industry to step up. And you, as you probably know, Cambridge works hard trying to inspire people to do so. So hopefully this podcast will help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the reasons I really enjoy Cambridge's efforts, because we're very much in line philosophically of, of um, really just getting the word out there and just not letting really unnecessary regulations pass that would hurt small business as a whole. Exactly. Exactly. So it comes to the time with, you know, probably my second favorite question in these podcasts. I like to let the listeners understand that there is more to our business than just work. Kind of maybe some of the same reasons you weren't attracted to our industry from the beginning, right? Gosh, numbers, maths, not, I too would have told you when I was 18 years old, there was no way I would be in that kind of an environment and look where I am. So yeah. um, talk talk about what your life looks like outside of the office. How do you spend your free time? Great question, great question. So um, I have three kids. Um, my oldest is Aubrey. Uh, she's a sophomore uh, at Arizona State University studying to be a psychology slash business major. I have my 11-year-old, Delana, and my 8-year-old son, Brody. 
Um, Brody is absolutely in love with Fortnite. Uh, we just granted him the opportunity to start playing that game after much discussion. Uh, so he, that is something he really enjoys. Uh, Delana and my wife and my oldest daughter just went to see Taylor Swift about a month ago to fulfill their dream of seeing her, her live. Uh, but one of the things we do love more than anything is we love to travel. We love seeing the great state of Arizona. We almost hit every single corner of the state, um, whether that's in the car. Uh, we also have a fifth wheel trailer that um, we do a lot of camping. Uh, my kids are already asking me the next time we're going back to Disneyland. And my son is absolutely just chomping at the bit to go see Super Nintendo Land at Universal Studios in Hollywood. So uh, those are all things that we're, you know, we're planning on, you know, doing. And uh, my, actually for the Cambridge Ignite Conference, mm -hmm. um, all my, my entire family came with us last year to Dallas and had a great time at the, at the Gaylord Texan. And we're going to be doing the same thing this year in Orlando. And uh, the funny thing is, when we lived in Orlando, um, my son never went to Disney World. My middle child, Alana, I don't think we went to Disney World past the age of two for her. So neither one of them really remember it. So um, they're really excited to, to see Disney World now as, as eight-year-olds and 11-year-olds. Perfect age for them to be going to see. That Instead of two in California. So I don't know if there is an age. Um, interestingly enough, my kids are 23 and 26 or about to be. And uh, last summer, because I still had college age kids, so um, we had to work around schedule. Um, their choice was to go to Disney again. And um, so it was six adults and we still had a good time, albeit no one should go in the summer, in my opinion. Um, it was not the best time, but um yeah, you work around what you have to do, and they've been to, you know, it. it is a happiest place on earth for some, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I have never understood, you know, being from Boston, my, my family always used to take us down to Disney World in the summer, and now being a parent, I'm thinking, how did my parents stay sane being in 100 degree heat in July, being little, you know, white pasty things from Boston? I never could understand that, but uh they did it because we, you know, they knew how much it meant to us. Yeah. So. And it, I will tell you that we went in July um, and it was packed. So lots of people are doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, traveling, yeah. traveling is a good thing for, um, for kids, right? It, you've given them, it sounds like a really solid view of where they live today. Um, Arizona is a beautiful state. It's got a lot to offer. It does. It does. And I would be completely amiss. I did not share my personal favorite hobby of watching every one of my Boston sports teams do their thing. Um, very excited. The Boston Bruins just broke the NHL record for wins. In my spare time, I, I oak and prod as much as I can to go see them when they come out here to Arizona. Uh, last Thanksgiving, I took my kids for the first time uh, to a, a Boston sporting event uh, for Thanksgiving. We saw the Bruins play the Rangers for Thanksgiving, uh, the day after Thanksgiving game. So, Finally, was able to kind of share those experiences with them in person in Boston, like I used to have when I was a kid. So, um, try to get to as many games as I can. Well, some reason for some reason I knew that there needed to be some serious addition to your free time being around sports. You didn't spend a lot of your life there because you hated it, right? So, you haven't let me down. 
very yeah very much a part of who I am and where I've been and it, it definitely it brings me back there's still quite a few people I know that are that worked in the sports industry when I was in there it all happened the way it was supposed to happen so I'm I'm, I'm very grateful and happy with where things are at and, and just very uh I'm thankful for my clients you know they obviously mutually beneficial relationship you're helping them while they're helping you and um, it's just very gratifying, you know, like the, the reasons I became an advisor 10 years ago have lived up to everything and then some being able to help people in a way that I've never been able to, that I didn't feel like I was doing working in the sports industry. It's a great place to be. It really is. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you for joining Cambridge Stronger Podcasts for your trust in Cambridge as well. And uh, congratulations on all your success. Good luck on your FSI task force, and thanks for in particular for doing that. Absolutely. My pleasure to represent Cambridge and, and just represent the industry. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.